The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's Sports Podcast. Hang up and listen for the week of December 31st, 2018. On this week's show, we're going to do the quasi-famous, semi-annual Hang Up and Listen call-in show, in which we take your questions not necessarily literally your question, but if you didn't call, you know, the global you, we will be taking your questions about such topics as the ethics of fandom, Ben Simmons being bad at shooting a basketball, and oh, so much more. Joining me in our Washington, D.C. studio is Stefan Fatsis, author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Hello, Stefan. Hey, Josh. Should we get right to the calls? Straight to the calls. Is the caller there? Directly to the calls. Houston, hello. All right. You're uh, on the air. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. My name is Christian Evans. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. My question for you both is, after listening to both seasons of Slate's Slow Burn, if you could adapt the slow burn templates to a hang up and listen story. What would your season one and season two stories be? My man wants to know season one and season two. I can give him season three too. Cause if we, depending on how many should, we come up with, should we go with season three first or you want to go with season one first? Go with season three first. Go ahead. So the two that I wrote down and my caveat here is that I try to give the li- listeners everything. I try to bear my soul. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hold anything back. That being said, I'm not sure I want to reveal my amazing narrative podcast idea. Just give it away. But I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Or I'm going to this, – this might be my like fourth and fifth favorite ideas. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to reveal where they're in the hierarchy. But shows uh, – topics that I think would lend themselves to this treatment that I think would be good. My number one uh, season one or season eight, whatever <laughs> – so much preamble for me would be uh, Muhammad Ali in Vietnam. Is that on your list? No, but I'm honored. Go All ahead. right. Here's the reasons why. It is um, a great story, a just standalone, full stop, um, about – takes place over several-year time span, um, shows where the country was at that time. Um, they're going to be – a bunch of forgotten stories and forgotten characters within the larger story. You've got folks like Bob Lipsight. Um, I know Bob's phone number, mm-hmm. so I could potentially get him to be a talking head who was there. Um, a bunch of Ali biographers, a bunch of amazing archival audio um, that we Author would have Jonathan access Ike to. has been on this podcast. So... Um, and yeah, there's like change over time. I think it. I think it would be a good story. What do you think? I totally agree. You took this uh, assignment much more seriously than I did, Josh. <laughs> oh, maybe that's because I'm actually that's like actually my job. Yeah. To come up with what uh, topics we cover yeah. on these shows. Yeah. So I've got three, and you can just pick one of them. Because I'm <laughs> Thank sure you. one of them will work out. Um, my afterball and subsequent interview about the Barkley marathons. Actually, I think would make a good narrative podcast. Okay. Um, so I'm this is quasi serious. The Barkley Marathons was that crazy race through the mountains where I think like pushes people to the edge of death because they could, you know, collapse in the middle of nowhere and no one can find them. What's the guy's name who puts it together? The main character? Gary Cantrell. His nickname is Lazarus Lake. And this is run in the mountains of Tennessee every year. Amazing character. Amazing character. Crazy dude. Beard. Eccentric. <laughs> beards really come through on podcasts. No, no, no. I and found. beards are – but beards are a sign. Like a long beard <laughs> is a inner, sign that you're going to be a good – you're going to be a good character for a, for a series. So body Barkley hair, Marathon's Body one. hair equals turmoil. I think that there is a hidden sports series in Kabaddi 
the sport that we fell in love with in 2017. Yeah. So there's got to be a great backstory. I think a lot of the people that invented the sport, like in 1530, are probably dead. But there are enough acolytes today to propel the narrative along. And finally, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't credit Mike Pesca for the seed of of a of a really a a, a media multi platform thing. And I'm talking of course about Oklahoma, the musical about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. He's already got some of the songs written. There's gonna be a lot of drama there. The making of the show. Serge Ibaka. Um the main takeaway that I have is that you're right, I did take this a lot more seriously yeah. than you did. Yeah, yeah you did. Sort of a you know, stylistic mismatch there. So here's my response in my role as um, a slate editor. Um, Great ideas. Um, I don't think they're a great fit for what we're trying to Mm -hmm. do at this time, but please feel free to send pitches in the future. Okay. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks. All the best. Really. Comma, Josh. Really great. (laughs) Just being in touch with you. And I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely send you some more ideas down the road. The Barclays thing could be a good podcast. I agree. I don't think it would be a slow burn because the, yeah. the slow burn model right. is to take something that's well-known in history and kind of complicate it that, yeah. and rip it apart and put it back together again. But there are other types of narrative podcasts. Mm-hmm. I would endorse that. My name is Joe O'Brien from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, here's a conundrum my friends and I have debated for years. If the Summer Olympics decided to change formats so that every country gets to nominate only 11 total athletes to play all of the sports, what is the ideal combination of athletes by sport to maximize medals? For instance, would you elect just one runner to do all the running events as well as participate in, say, rugby? Or maybe you'd be better off picking 12 basketball players to do everything. This is a fantastic conundrum and a fantastic idea for a sporting event. I'm not suggesting that we switch the Olympics over to this format, but I think an Olympics like this would be great. Now, you might you might initially say, well, decathletes, right? They can already do 10 things. That's going to get you covered for a lot of the track and field events. So that's a lot of medals to be gained there. So I think you want at least one or two decathletes um, and, and to start, right? So let's start with a couple decathletes. You get your track covered. You want to bring a sprinter and also a long-distance runner in there. You get your field covered, too. But you want to bring a sprinter and a long-distance runner because, again, a lot of events there, 100, 200, 800, 400, hurdles, 15, marathon. So you need one sprinter, one long-distance runner. So that gives us up to four. How many did he give us? Um, 12? 11. 11? I would just say one decathlete. You're, really? You're... Am, I over, am I overvaluing their – their athletic um, no, I think, diversity? I think what you're doing is, so first of all, we should stipulate it depends on what country you're talking about. Well, I think like, we're talking about the United States. All right, we if we're talking about the United the States, I, th- I think that there aren't that many great decathletes You think I'm wasting a spot? I think you're decathlon? wasting a spot. All right, possibly. And I think like you have to first, like the very first thing is like, are you foregoing medals in some sports? You got or, to. Or are you trying, or do they have to compete in every sport? Uh, I think that you can punt some categories. I mean, even if they have to compete in every sport, there can be ones where you're um, choosing. I mean, I think right, the, the logical thing is to thing, maximize the number of your medal hall. The logical thing is to maximize in swimming right. and in track yes. because that's where the most medals are to be right. won. So your decathlete covers a lot of the field. You have a runner and a long distance runner. We've cut it to one decathlete. I'm fine there. But then I think, like, look at some of these other sports, golf, boxing, handball, field hockey, weightlifting, volleyball, beach volleyball. I think three NBA players, you really got some advantages in all of those sports. They golf a lot, right? Yeah. So you're going to probably get a decent golfer, figure out who's a good golfer. I don't know. Um Boxing, like I'm Zion Williamson, I can train him to box a little bit. <laughs> I can train him. Um, team handball, you got three basketball players, you've got a core, you've got enough guys that can run, jump, and throw. Field hockey, men's field hockey, I'm not throwing in the towel on a field hockey medal. If I've yeah. got some team sport athletes out there, weightlifting, obviously, volleyball, they're very tall, beach volleyball, same. So I think you want to you wanna, um, load up on, on basketball players. The problem with this idea is that I think in practice – Different countries specialize sure. in different sports. You've got to strategize. Well, you've got to strategize, but I think this would end up 
we we think that this would be fun to watch, but I think it would be incredibly uncompetitive mm-hmm. in most events because, like, okay, let's say Hungary has great weightlifters and they just Water load up on weightlifters. Players, yeah. It's like going to be fun to watch the Hungarian weightlifters lift weights against like some American. Decathlete. I'm going for a bronze in weightlifting. I'm not going for the gold. I'm maximizing my medal count, Josh. Well, I think what what would be inter- interesting is in the team sports because you cannot I don't think it would make sense for any country to compete in the entire Olympics with just a field hockey team no. or with just a uh soccer team. Maybe maybe some country would maybe Brazil would say we're just going to send our soccer team. And it's also like if you want to maximize or do you just want to win the medal or medals that are most important to you as a culture? Yeah, no, come on. <laughs> no, that's silly. The idea here is how well would you do as a country with 11 athletes? I mean, the brute force method is to do half the athletes as track and field and half as swimming, and you would just clean the fuck up. Yeah, but there, are, but then the, the calendar will be empty. I need to compete. I, there's got to be some rules, right, that you've got to compete in a certain number <laughs> it, of events. It always gets more fun when you impose more rules. Absolutely. So I'm going to finish up with, uh, so I said two swimmers along in a short distance. I want more team sport players. So, yes, some soccer players. Um, I think a wrestler to handle the judo and those sports. You're not making any hard choices at all. You're just like picking one of everything. No, no, no. But that's why on balance, I'm going to have good team sports and I'm going to rack up medals. Congratulations. Great, great job. <laughs> great what about, job. What about, what about equestrian? Great job racking up those medals. Can you have a horse? Could a horse compete as a person? As a person? That's a good question. So many rules. Like the rule book for this thing would be legit. Like that would be a, a thick book. Uh, all right, uh, Joel O'Brien, get to work. Joel and, Joel and your friends, stop talking about it. Start getting it down on paper, my friend. Oh, table tennis. I bet some basketball players can play table tennis. Hello, this is Brian Satlitz calling from Shoreline, Washington. A question for you guys about uh, sports movies. So in your opinion, which uh, like non-documentary sports movie best depicts its sport? So a couple that come to mind, Brian, thank you very much for your call, uh, would be Blue Chips, uh, the movie with Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway and a bunch of other... For its acting. Then uh, star basketball players. Look, if you want to balance the on-court realism with the off-court mm-hmm. realism, <laughs> then you got to make choices as a casting director. So Gary Cooper, you know, maybe he can nail Lou Gehrig off the field. On the field, you're going to have to reverse the film and he's going to still uh, not look like Garrick on the on the ball field. But I do feel like with Blue Chips, I have not gone back and watched it. As a kid, I thought it was very cool to have actual athletes in these roles. Um, and just as like kind of a, of, of a zag when everyone else is zigging, like having – the action, the sports stuff be high quality just feels so like such a gift, something to be treasured given how trash most uh, sports movies are. The other one that I would call out, um, and we can use the label of sports movie as strictly or as loosely as we want. It's our show. But I would say The Big Lebowski captures the kind of like bullshitty feel of a bowling league and of the bonds of the like the asshole guy who mm-hmm. says that you're over the line of um, the fact that you meet people from different walks of life who may or may not be registered sex offenders. It's a real kind of cornucopia of humanity than you get when you're in these uh, rec leagues. Um, and just the kind of rhythm of life and how that can fit in. Um, the Big Lebowski is uh, one of my favorites, and I think the bowling stuff is uh, a key component of that film's quality. I do think you may be um, putting down the quality of non-athlete actors in a lot of really good sports movies. I don't. The first thing that comes to mind in some of the best sports movies isn't that you know the whole goal is to not have the first thing that comes to mind be that the, the the game sucked. 
you want the athletes, you want the verisimilitude to be high quality. You really want to be able to say they didn't look like they couldn't throw a baseball or catch a football or shoot a hockey puck. Um, Josh is too mean to the actors. I think the you're actors, being too mean to the, the actors, actors because so I think if you go down some of the list of some of the really good sports movies, and we can agree or disagree on some of these, but last week we talked about League of Their Own. Um, the baseball scenes in that movie were really good. Um, the women played baseball well. Um, other top sports movies. Uh, movies. The, the, there's some variance. There's among, some variance. Among the actors. There's some variance. There's some, I believe that they're like really humming it in there at 35 miles per hour. I mean, they, the pitch that Kit hits on the last, on the climactic uh, play of the game, all right, not the hardest high fastball, which is what her sister You just got to know what kind of movie you are. Like, I don't think it's super important that we believe that these women are the greatest but players of all time. But if it's enough of a distraction, right. then you want to you... be in the sweet spot where it's not a distraction. Right. So I in agree. Bull Durham, the baseball is not a distraction. In Hoosiers, the basketball is not a distraction at all. Don't get caught washing the paint dry. Bad News Bears, the baseball is terrible, <laughs> but they're 11 years old. But it old, works. And it works. Um, Friday Night Lights, the football, my problem with Friday Night Lights is that it's too, it's hyper real. So the hits are too good and the, the, they're too hard. And they're too slow motion. Make football seem safer is what Stefan wants. Well, that's another way that you can talk about realism. So um, Creed, for example, I haven't seen Creed 2, but um, the Rocky's Ryan, a good example. Just the, but the Ryan Coogler, Michael B. Jordan, and, and also the original Rocky movies, you certainly would not say that Michael B. Jordan um, is bad boxer or doesn't look realistic. He's like – the dude is in amazing shape, mm-hmm. and also he can throw a punch. It is incredibly unrealistic as far as the amount of punishment a man can take oh, and, Rocky and, won. and dish out. No, the first so, Rocky is exactly – that's the flaw in the first Rocky. Is that? But they, you see that as a flaw. Yes, because that is the only moment in the film where I am watching going, this is hyper-realistic. They could not possibly hit each other in the face as much as they are hitting each other in the face and still be standing up. But this is the thing that movies can do. Like movies are fantasy. I think Rocky, it does skirt the line because there is, it's an invitation for the viewer to believe that this like real life schlubby guy um, has the power to do amazing things and you can interpret that in one of two ways you could say like um all right that that means that you should show what it would really be like for somebody like this to go through a heavyweight fight and really get his his ass kicked or you could say the whole thing is a fantasy why are we nitpicking and exactly how the fantasy is deployed i think i might have said this on the show before but my this is my impression of watching rocky with my dad he would be dead that would have killed him (laughs) He would have be unconscious right now. Right. So what's the line between he would be dead and, oh, that's a reasonable over-the-top amount of punishment that a boxer could take? Well, for you, it seemed like Rocky went over the line. It went over the line a little bit. I think the American viewing public thought it was okay. Oh, I love the movie. Yeah. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Before we get to answering more of your questions from our uh, famous call-in show, semi-famous, quasi-famous call-in show. I wanted to let you know that in our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, go figure, we're going to be answering questions from listeners who called in with those questions. Among the ones that we'll answer will be questions about demons, questions about athletes that we hate uh, to hear those conversations, to hear those questions. Join Slate Plus. It's just $35 for the first year. You can sign up at slate.com slash hangup plus. Hey, Josh and Stefan. This is Gretel Twombly calling from Burbank, California. My question is, what do you think 
would happen if for a full year all streaming and live TV broadcasts were exclusively of women's sporting events? Would it backfire? What would happen? Let me know what you think. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Burbank, for the uh, phone call. Thank you, Gretel. That's a good question. So the one thing that I can be extremely confident about is that it would be really good for Clay Travis's uh, bottom line if uh, Jamel Hill just simply being on television is a way way in for the right-wing trolls in uh, sports media to talk about ESPN getting to political and how the world has has gone mad and and why can't they just give us our our highlights uh i cannot imagine what the response would be if uh men playing sports were banished from our televisions to be replaced by women so i think definitely yes there would be a backlash that backlash would be horrific and yet would it be good for uh for visibility for women's sports obviously yes stefan Obviously, yes, it would be hugely polarizing, um, but the benefit would be that it would do what networks have been unable to do so far, which is to get people to watch women's sports and <laughs> and, realize, and realize that they are worth watching. That I think what we would find is that your dumbass armchair male sports fan would because not only he needs you know his uh, his heroin shot of sports, um, that he would recognize that this is really good. You know these are fantastic athletes, and the competition is equally intense, and the skill level is super high. That definitely would not happen. Really, I think a lot of people would be converts because they need to watch sports. So even some of your your bigoted fans would uh, your chauvinistic fans would would tune in and get used to it. I think that that is not true. I think that people would um, – there could be like seriously – I'm not joking about this. There would be like the potential for violent insurrection Yeah. Um, because I, could, I cannot think of anything that's ever happened in real life. This is like the – So you're saying I'm being this, too optimistic. This is the exaggerated I'm version. As naive. I was saying before, this is what people – say is going to happen. This is the version of they're going to come to your house and take your guns. But this is that being enacted in real life. And it's also the opposite of what the market wants and what market forces are. So this is this would be legit yeah. forcing when pe- people say now when out of 500 channels there's a WNBA game on they're like why are you forcing this down our throats? This is the literalization of the forcing down people's throats. Yeah, so you're, it, would, you're, it, would be, it would be rough. Well, you're implying that this would be a market-driven act, and obviously it would not be. This is some sort of um, fantastic event, some fantastic decision-making by the people that put shit on television and on the internet. This is, this is, you know, this is, this is hypothetical. This is no, no network oh, this executive. Is no network executive is Thank going you for to, letting me to know do this. Well, but you're, you're, you're assuming or you're describing this as something that would actually. I'm inhabiting the world. I'm trying to live out the fantasy here. Of what, like, what would the forces be? It obviously wouldn't be market driven. It would be like some kind of dictatorial regime that controlled the media and decided that this would the all woman government yeah like uh that this is what the, the populace need, this is what the populace the bots have taken over yeah that's exactly what i said yeah. no but i think that this is i think we're in agreement that it's really important to have more visibility of women's sports mm-hmm. i think the numbers that are in the low single digit percentages of highlights on SportsCenter and other shows of of women, sports and women athletes are appalling and should be adjusted upwards. I think even in the absence of of market pressure, because as we've talked about on the show before, we talked about it with Mirren Fader um, of Bleacher Report talking about her story on the WNBA. It's like you can't create the demand in some ways if you don't have the supply. And so if you, even if you're thinking about it in a pure market based way. It's short-sighted to not try to grow sure. 
that market. All right, but, so let, let, but if you're stipulating that this is happening in some sort of 1984-ish scenario, right. people- Rebecca Lobo is, our di- <laughs> is the dictator of America. People who live in under dictatorial regimes end up getting broken down, right? Their, their will is broken. People are going to want to watch Gretel. sports. This is probably not the, the direction, the direction you, that you wanted to go. Yeah. 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 But people will, you know, if this is what we are served, this is what they are going to watch. But keep and in then mind. maybe when we come out of the dictatorship, when democracy and capitalism regain their foothold in America, more people would be more receptive to watching women's sports than they currently are. Keep in mind that Gretel said this would be for a year. Do you think there would be like a countdown clock on the screen? <laughs> Of when the year would be over. Also, let's say LeBron James uh, and his peers are extremely supportive of the WNBA rhetorically. Share on social media, go to the games. (laughs) Would that that pull a little switcheroo? If LeBron is exiled from from television, would he be part? Would would he because? We, as we all know, it's very important for LeBron that his daughter get the same opportunities that his sons do. Would he be behind this move? Would he like that? Would that would certainly be important? He'd be like a coach or a commissioner. That's one way to get around the uh, the the alienation on the part of chauvinistic sports fans. The other put all your stars on the sidelines so you can still watch them. They just won't be playing. The other this this will be my last thought. Like another scenario here is that it would be really good for the women's sports that people already um, that are already kind of at the top of the heap. Tennis and soccer are the two obvious ones mm-hmm. that comes to mind come to mind. Perhaps gymnastics could see a boost in off years. And then the ones where the men's version is just like crazily more popular, such as basketball. Um, I don't know I don't know if if the if women's basketball would have a surge in popularity like that space might be taken up more by soccer, tennis, gymnastics. There'd be a lot of airtime to fill, so I think you'd even see some more marginal sports that uh, don't get airtime. You know, men's or women's right now could also gain a little bit of a toehold. So, you know, field hockey, team handball could be great for those sports. <laughs> Always coming back to to the important things. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, my name is Adam Kipiniak, and I am calling from Weehawken, New Jersey, and I am calling about the President's Cup and the America's Cup and what I call the Presidents of America's Cup. I'm guessing that there's a lot of overlap between the two sports, so I'm wondering who would win in a duathlon of yachting and golfing? Would it be the President's Cup's winning team or the America's Cup winning team? Or if you had your pick of all of the presidents of America, might they win? All right, look, I'm Adam, thank you for the question. Weehawk and welcome to the show. I'm really not interested, though, in who would win an actual duathlon or biathlon um, of yachting and golf with the representatives of the actual America's Cup teams and President's Cup teams. I am, however, very interested in which presidents would uh, would be the best in the sport. Maybe we could have a, a, a biathlon of those sports, but only with presidents on the teams. Look, JFK is number one pick, no question, right? He was an 80s golfer um, until his back sidelined him. And all those fucking pictures of him on those fucking boats up in in Massachusetts. I mean, easy to make him. I'm sure he could like tie knots and shit. So JFK, number one pick, yachting, golfing, hands down. Who do you like after that, Josh? Oh, man. I mean, George H.W. Bush was a good athlete, right? He Mm -hmm. uh, played baseball. I think that 
the whole like golf and presidents thing has taken off more recently. Yeah. So I think your top draft picks are probably going to be but they got to do more both, modern I think. vintage. I think they have to be golfers and yachters. So if it's your biathlon, golfing and yachting. I think I would probably pick Obama number two because uh, as uh, many uh, people of a particular pro- political persuasion would tell us, he spent a lot of his presidency playing golf. Mm-hmm. Fair amount playing golf, less than Trump, but decent amount of time honing the swing. Uh, and then after he left office, the first thing that he did was go parasailing. Or there, there were these photos of him right. looking very happy, engaging in uh, aquatic pursuits. So I think what I would do is I would take the best golfer and train him to uh, be a yachtsman. Yeah, the problem with that is that Donald Trump is probably the best golfer of all the presidents. Legit. Yeah, but I mean, he could. he's in such horrible physical condition that let's say we need to, well, we need like, to, like, let's say we need to set the lineup. Am I training Babe Ruth to go up against Adam Odovino? I'm taking Trump the way he is. Right, but I'm saying if you have to set the lineup if you have to set the lineup for like 30 seconds from now, I might take Trump. But like in six months, who knows what what uh, condition that guy could be in. Also drug testing. Like I don't know what Trump is on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that Trump's on anything. I don't know that he's not on anything. I'm just saying that there's some question marks yeah. around uh, our current president. Yeah. Um, Don Van Natta wrote a book called First Off the Tee, Presidential Hackers, Duffers, and Cheaters from Taft to Bush. So he did some rankings uh, as well. I think there's some uh, – you know, again, we're looking for the, uh, the, the two-sport athlete here. You mentioned George H.W. Bush. W. was not a bad golfer, and also they've got the whole main thing, so I think he'd be a good two-sport athlete there. Um, yeah. I'm going to go off the board, though, and say that Teddy Roosevelt might end up being a solid addition to, uh, to, to the team. Um, he tough could, guy. He could shoot the other uh, competitors. Maybe we should add shooting. Yeah, biathlon. Biathlon, yeah, actual biathlon. Obama, I think you're overrating. I mean, he's a decent golfer. Well, it's like the Ruth Adovino thing. Like Obama is like a modern physically conditioned athlete. Probably would be good on a boat. Has never gotten stuck in a bathtub as far as we know. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah, I think Taft and, uh, and, and Trump would probably capsize the boat. That would be a problem. Could be. Yeah, other good golfers uh, on uh, Van Natta's list, which uh, he did with uh, Golf Digest. Dwight Eisenhower, good golfer. Gerald Ford, really good athlete, shot in the 80s. It's got to be the Football number- star. Yeah, football star. Maybe your number two pick after Maybe. Kennedy. Yeah. All right. Glad we, we settled that. Thank you very much for the question that Stefan totally ignored. I respected the question. Way more than, than Stefan. I would consider myself a, a question respecter. Did you answer the I res- question, though? I you respect. didn't answer the question. You respected it so much I you didn't bother it, to answer yeah, it. Yeah, I respected it so much that I wouldn't dare um, tamper with its uh, pristine nature. Look, the President's right. Cup would win <laughs> in that biathlon. I can't believe you actually answered the question. It's so off-brand for you. All right. Next, uh, let, let's get another call in here. Hey, this is Alex Venderos from Los Angeles. By all accounts, Ben Simmons is very good at basketball, despite being pretty bad at shooting a basketball. I was wondering if there's any analogous situation in other professional sports where someone can be very good at that sport while still being very bad at a pretty fundamental part of it. Really good question. I like this question. So first, as always, you got to set the parameters and the ground rules. I think it would be unfair, looking at you, Stefan, to identify somebody like uh, Garo Yaprimian mm-hmm. and say he's really good at kicking a football but not so great at throwing the football because it's not his job to throw the football even though it's a part of the sport. Right. It's Ben Simmons's job to shoot and that's why I think this is a great uh, question and a, a good opportunity to look at some parallels. I think the one that came to mind for me first is the classic all-field no-hit shortstop where That's on my list here. You're consciously um, maximizing skill in one part of the game with the notion that you're so good that you make up for a clear and obvious deficit. So somebody like Omar Vizquel, there's debate about this, and we can think of other examples. I mean, Ozzie Smith was – Pretty much every shortstop in the 70s and 80s. 
Yeah, and there are a bunch Ray of Hall Cal of Fame. They're, like, you can make the Hall of Fame as a baseball player. I don't know about any more, but you could make the Hall of Fame. All those dudes I mentioned after I went to Cooperstown who were in the Hall of Fame because they had, like, the record number of chances. So, yeah, the baseball player who's considered an all-time great and can't hit, I think, is a is a pretty – Spot on an But LG. similarly, the baseball player who can hit but isn't really a good fielder, it's much easier to hide. Well, fielding is dumb, so that, that doesn't fielding matter. Fielding is not dumb. <laughs> I mean, Babe Ruth couldn't field very fielding well, as is, we discussed last week. Bryce fielding Harper is, for is not a very good player. Fielding is for squares unless you're a shortstop. Right. Is that what All you're right. saying? Fair enough. You, you, make a, you make a reasonable point. All yeah, right. Yeah. What else is on your list? Um, well, in football, it's again, like you said, the, the Yepremian – um, corollary here is problematic for football because every <laughs> Your job premium corollary is by a, Robert Ludlum is <laughs> because every job is siloed so much. I mean, football is a, a sport of you know the, the patriarchy tells you exactly what to do at every second, so everything is. Let's is, not get into the patriarchy. Just a- answer the question. Well, that's how football works um, because every job is so specific. You can't be a quarterback and not throw. Well, on the <laughs> other hand, Tim Tebow, late, late life. He won a playoff game. Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl. Couldn't really throw. So I, I retract that. Maybe you can. Cam Newton led, uh, led the Panthers to a glorious string of six straight losses despite not being able to throw it true, down the field. True, The one I had on, on the list, and this is more of a small bore one, is the concept of the blocking tight end that there are certain ways and maybe there are analogies in other sports. Andre Robertson for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, that's, I mean, that's that's back to the Ben Simmons. But, but this guy is like pretty, as compared to Ben Simmons, is like totally useless as an offensive player. Whereas Simmons is still a valuable but offensive player without the, being able to shoot. But yeah, like, the difference there is that you that there are compartments for a lot of positions in a lot of sports, and it's a given that you cannot do other things that typically might be required of that job. That's a, that's accepted. But with someone like Ben Simmons, you think all round superstar. That he needs to score. He's not out there just to block shots. Right. I guess that's true. Uh, any other um, golfers who can't putt well? Anal- yeah, that's a that's a good example. Like um, there are also golfers who, like David Toms, who cannot hit the ball far off the tee. But right. in that case, I mean, I guess it's similar to basket to basketball too. This might be straining the analogy, but. A golfer who can't putt or who can't hit the ball far off the tee, there are certain courses that you're going to have more or less success on. And the analogy there is like for Ben Simmons, he might be able to succeed more against a certain opponent or, or defense um, that uh, where he can maximize his strengths and minimize his weaknesses. He'd be really good on a court that didn't have any baskets. <laughs> good. Yes. Hi, this is Julie calling from Seattle, where we are still bitter about the Sonics getting stolen by Oklahoma City. Um, now the news is that the Suns owner is threatening to leave Phoenix and move to Seattle to try and get money for a new arena. This is obviously crappy behavior, but Seattle wants a team again. So what are our ethical obligations? Are we only allowed to root for an expansion team for us to get our Sonics back again? Or can we hope that one of these gross owner power plays actually goes our way? Thanks. Uh, really good question, Julie. Uh, you're assuming the team would be called the Sonics, so don't get your hopes up there. Sonics. Sonics? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Got a ring to it. Very nice, Josh. So you'll never forget the unholy means by which you acquired your uh, cursed franchise. And two, you know, Seattle, an ethical city. I think you guys would have some trouble with this. You're going to struggle with your feelings. There's going to be a lot of therapy, a lot of talking this through, whether it's okay. So it's good that you bring it up now before the Sonics become a reality. Now, having said all of that, you really have no ethical obligations once the team comes to town. Um, They are your team. It is possible, I think, to root for a loathsome owner um, and still love the franchise. I was a Yankees fan in the 1970s. George Steinbrenner was about as loathsome an owner as you can get, though he had a lot of competition in those days, and there's competition now. You know, I think you can, you have to weigh the ethical transgression that led to you getting this team. Franchises move all the time. 
this is not something that's unusual in professional sports. So because it's it normal, it's okay. Game. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying it's not like the, the owner of the Suns is threatening to, you know, to kill everybody in Phoenix and then move to Seattle. Wait, to we're recording. We're moves. recording the show in advance. Yeah. So if Robert Sarver in fact in fact threatens mm-hmm. to kill everyone in the time between when we record this and when the show airs. Just keep in mind, we didn't know that that was going to happen. True. Yeah. We were just we we're just naive. Yeah. On the other hand, look, if you're sitting where we are in Washington and you've been a football fan for a long time, oof, I'm not quite sure how you can root for this team with its horrible owner and its horrible, horrible racist name and logo. Um, I don't think you'd be facing that in Seattle. So it's really just a question of would you be – um, would you feel precluded by a carpetbagger owner um, uh, from supporting the new team? I mean, I think, look, let's just be real- realistic. You're going to root for the team. Um, it's not uh, like you're going to capitulate. It's going to happen. Yeah, Robert Sarver is not going to be playing point guard. We can make you feel better or worse about the situation, but let's just like get with the – Reality here, I think maybe the way to think about it is because that's a given, whether it's ethical or not ethical, we can think about it in terms of carbon offsets. What can you do to make yourself feel better? And look, this is beyond your control. This is not something, no matter what you do, I think you're probably not going to have an influence or an effect on whether this team moved or not. Something that you can control or can do to make you feel better about this, make yourself a more ethical sports fan is if there's a campaign in the city around uh, public versus private financing of an arena, that's something that you can get really involved in. I think it's really important for the folks in these municipalities, states to understand the ins and outs of these deals and the negative downstream effects that they can have. And so if you could, whether if there's a ballot initiative if you could just talk to people on the city council or the mayor, just get involved in that movement. I think that would be a way where maybe you can feel like you've done something good, that you've fought for what's right without just the, I mean, I hate to say resistance is futile, but in terms of the team moving to town, it's just like, why, why, why bother? Maybe this is like, bad moral and ethical advice, but just like why bother fighting something that you're just not, you're well, ultimately not going to resist? Well, I think the, the, the issue in Seattle is that people may feel like they're behaving no differently than fans in Oklahoma City who are supporting the Thunder. But it's not the fans' Clay fault. Bennett. It's, it's Clay Bennett's fault. It's Clay Bennett's fault. But if you're a Seattle resident who protested against what Clay Bennett did, spiriting the supersonics out of town and then you support the exact same thing happening so that you can get another team i can see where there's going to be some moral conflict there yeah i can i can understand it and i think the important thing like you said kind of in passing robert sarver is not going to be playing point guard i think it's a really important to understand that owners aren't heroes they're i don't want to say never but they're rarely heroes and i think you could Understanding coming in to your fandom of this team that Robert Sarver is a dick is a good thing. I think you'll root for the players. They had nothing to do with this. You might, in fact, be helping enrich the owner. But again, like that's going to happen no matter what the scenario is. Just don't throw a fucking parade for Sarver. Don't say, oh, you saved basketball and don't in give Seattle. The, don't give him the city's money to build roads and arenas. Yeah, I just think it's a fiction that teams are a public trust, but just think about there's like a fine line, but you can think of the team as a civic institution to some degree, and I would just think of them in that way, support the players and support your city. And without- do what you can to make sure that the team, once it arrives, acts in an ethical manner, whether that's about its finances, whether about 
it, whether it's about where it plays or whether it's about how it compensates its players and who it signs in free agency, that it's spending the money that it is entrusted to spend to try to put a winning team on the court. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Keith Privet from Chicago, and here's my question. Uh, this summer, the U.S. hosted the Rugby 7 World Cup, which is rugby with seven players on each team instead of 15. The Olympics announced they'll have three-on-three basketball, which is three players on the court for each team instead of five. What do we do about baseball to shrink it as well? Uh, is this a solution to interminable extra innings? Perhaps we send off one player from each team every inning. Thank you. I'll hang up and listen. Hang up and listen. All right. A lot of the things that Keith mentioned in his excellent question are sports that are scaled down and have fewer players. So rugby, smaller field, um, uh, eight-man football, smaller field, I think. So what we're talking about is watching athletes. Seven-man football. Seven-man football. There's also eight-man, and there's also six-man. Okay, good. We're also watching athletes. So we're talking about watching athletes compete on a full-size field, but fewer of them. So there's this attrition factor. So yeah. in field hockey, you take four players off for overtime. Um, so it's seven-on-seven seven on a football field, which is crazy to watch. In the NFL, you would get the attrition in the old days in the playoffs because there would be no – End game. There's no special rules added in overtime. Hockey is fun to watch because it's fewer players on this same yeah. sized pitch. So the question with baseball is, and I think this is a terrific idea, if we're taking one player off per inning, what does it do to affect the aesthetics of the game? And strategically, how do you approach extra innings? First of all, I like the idea of one taking one player off per inning because then you get to a point where there are no players on the field, which is an interesting philosophical issue and debate how is baseball played what is the sound of baseball with no one playing it but then would you then would it be an up and down situation where after the 18th inning you start adding one player back again each inning we could do that the um, 18th inning is not going to be very interesting <laughs> we or maybe it'll be the most interesting of all um we should also note that in the various proposals to quote unquote fix baseball by um reducing extra innings or making the game not go, you know, starting in the 12th inning, you put a runner on second base automatically just to try to encourage run scoring. So this is the exact opposite approach. This is adding more players to the field, which I think is extremely wrongheaded for the reasons that uh, our friend Keith pointed out. So back to the question, I think you would probably start by, um, let me say this, with the shift, we've seen that positions don't really exist in baseball anymore. And so if you took one player off the field, if there are only eight, you'd be restructuring the field. Yeah, which it would change based on who is batting. Batting. So you might, for a power hitter, you might put, uh, have a full outfield and take somebody out of the infield. For somebody who is going to hit singles, you might stack the infield. Right, and who you pull off the field I think is what's determinative here because it wouldn't just be, I'm not just taking out the center fielder. It's the athlete that I'm taking off. So you want to probably take off your least versatile fielder. The thing that would be like really insane is that when it got down to just being a pitcher and catcher, given how limited contact is in the sport now that you could like the game still might be interminable. (laughs) (laughs) Like Adam Adovino is just out there striking out Babe Babe Ruth. Ruth. Every uh, yeah. every inning. Yeah. But well, do you save again? Do you then save your your hardest thrower, your strikeout pitcher for the 18th inning? I don't know. That would be uh, a little bit <laughs> that that would be a little bit risk averse to uh, to to save <laughs> because you got to figure somebody's going to score when there are four players on the field. Maybe not five. Last thought though is that <clears throat> that pitcher and catcher with the outfields coming in that like evokes old barnstorming games, right? Where Satchel Page 
would legendarily call on the outfield and strike out the side. So uh-huh. you would be moving baseball boldly into the future while embracing the past. Or you could add wiffle ball rules at some point. Imaginary runner on first. And so forth. First runner on second. I don't want to revive that debate. Speaking of boldly into the moving into the future while embracing the past, uh, great year of hang up and listen. Thank you, we Stefan. We think so, yeah. Um, that is our show for the year. Our producer is Patrick Fort to listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out. Go to slate.com slash hangup and you can email us at hangup at slate.com. Thank you so much to everyone who called in. Great batch of questions. Thank you to everyone who listened to the show this year and sent us messages uh, and who listened and did not send us any messages. That's okay. We still appreciate that. Um, for Stefan Fatsis, I'm Josh Levine. Any final words, Stefan? Thank you, everybody. Simple final words. Remember Zelmo Beatty? Maybe, maybe you want to remember Zelmo Beatty? You want to say it? Remember Zelmo Beatty. And thanks for listening. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.